You got it? Okay. All right. Well, good morning, Grace Church and Friends of Grace. Uh, before we begin, I just wanted to say a few words to let you know how this morning is going to go and to encourage you. Obviously, this is less than ideal. We're called to gather together with our bodies to worship the risen and reigning Jesus together. And yet for right now, to follow the directives of our governments and health officials, it's the right, wise, and loving thing to do for the sake of our neighbors and for each other to not gather together physically for worship to try to flatten the curve and minimize the potential effects of COVID-19. These are strange, uncomfortable, uncertain, and confusing times that we find ourselves in. We're trying to manage our own anxiety, and it can feel like everyone else's too. We're anxious, confused, lonely, and frustrated because our worlds have been disrupted. Our jobs have been disrupted. Some of you don't know if you'll have a job soon. Some of you are trying to figure out what it means to work from home, what it means to homeschool your kids. Some of you are frustrated that you aren't in school, that you aren't able to be with your friends, that you aren't able to get the supplies you need for being at home, all the while trying to assess which news sources are reliable and accurate and having our economy go into shambles. And then to make things worse, we can't gather together to love and encourage one another, to hug and to hold one another, to sing in the same room, to feast together at Jesus' table. And yet we, the church, are not called to fear and to panic. We're called to trust, rest, and hope in someone that is unchanging, who does not fail us, who's faithful to us, who loves us and is here with us. And we're still called to worship our God, to love our neighbors. And so we're called to step into some creative ways to reach out and connect with and care for people around us. So for this week, while we wait for some equipment to arrive that will help us live stream our service, hopefully as early as next Sunday, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to ask you to follow along with the bulletin that you've hopefully downloaded from the church website and participate together in this awkward and less than ideal way in worshiping our God as I lead us through an abbreviated liturgy that is meant to center us around Jesus together. This is new and awkward for all of us, so let me encourage you to embrace the awkwardness. It's okay. Jesus is not surprised by this pandemic, and he has not left us. He is with us, and Psalm 46 says he is an ever-present help in trouble, and he invites us to be still before him to calm and to quiet our hearts before him, to come to him in our anxieties and unease and rest in him, the unchanging one, who is our refuge and strength, who is the one true God and who is our fortress. We gather together this morning over speakers and headphones in our living rooms and bedrooms because Jesus has come. And in his life, death, and resurrection. He has defeated sin and sickness and death, and we await his return when he will finally rid this earth of the sin, sickness, and death that seems to run so rampant, but has an expiration date, because Jesus is risen, and he promised he will come again. And when this God promises something, we can be sure that he will do it. So I'm going to invite you to stand where you are and remember to embrace the awkwardness and join with me in the responsive call to worship from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake 
with their surging. So I'm going to ask that you remain standing as we confess together what it is that we believe concerning not just our faith, but the faith of the church at all times and in all places. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Y'all can take a seat wherever you are and join your hearts with me as we go before our God in our prayer of adoration. Please pray with me. O most mighty and merciful God, in this time of grievous sickness, we flee unto you for rest and refuge in the midst of our distress. We remember the truth about who you are from your word. You are with us. You are in control. You are gracious. You are holy. And you promise to work out all things for the good of those who love you. Deliver us, we beg you, from our peril. Give strength and skill to all those who minister to the sick. Prosper the means made use of for their cure. And grant that perceiving how frail and uncertain our life is, we may apply our hearts unto that heavenly wisdom which leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our call to renewal this morning comes from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of our Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. If we're honest, in times like these, our hearts are troubled by many things. COVID-19, the stock market, our jobs, our plans, our relationships, our schools, what summer will bring. And yet Jesus invites us to rest in and believe in him, to remember what is certain and in store for his people, even in the midst of great confusion and chaos and unrest and anxiety. So let's confess our sin together using the prayer printed in the bulletin. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, many of us come before you today with troubled hearts and minds. We are fearful about our health, our finances, our security, our relationships, our families, our futures, our world, and many other things. We have a hard time believing in you in a way that would bring comfort to our hearts. Instead, we greatly doubt your love and concern for and control over us. We are not calmed by your promises. Father, forgive our unbelief. Jesus, thank you that for the joy set before you, you persevered through far greater pain and suffering than anything we will ever suffer. Thank you that you will come back to be with us forever, wiping away all our tears and comforting at last our grieving and broken hearts. By your Spirit, give us the joy and peace that should flow from the reality 
that in Jesus' death we died and that in his resurrection we are raised to new life. Help us to live in the light of our full forgiveness and to die with great confidence in the sufficiency of your grace to us. At this time, you can hit pause and you can humbly confess and reflect in the presence of our God, trusting that Jesus took the punishment for all of our sin and that he's much better at grace and forgiveness than we are at sinning. And when you're done confessing, you can unpause and resume with the liturgy. Now hear the words of encouragement from John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, if you believe in him and the finished work on the cross for you as the Son of God, as your Savior and Lord, then be encouraged by his promise of hope and security in him. We come now to our prayers of the people, and I invite you to unite your hearts with me in prayer, and we'll conclude by joining our hearts and voices together using the Lord's Prayer. Please pray with me. Our gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of life and creation. We thank you for this earth and the promise that you will one day bring about its redemption. We thank you for our bodies, for our neighbors, for our homes, for grocery stores, for hospitals, for our healthcare workers, for our government officials, but most of all for your faithfulness to us, for your presence, and the confidence that we have that you are not surprised by our circumstances, but you are in control and you are at work even now to bring about your kingdom purposes. We pray for your church this morning and all of her diversity gathered out of every nation and family and tribe and tongue. We thank you for churches gathered for worship in all different digital formats this morning, all over your world, and especially in this community. We pray especially for Faith Bible Church here in the Woodlands, their pastor Scott Pollock and his family and his staff. We thank you for their partnership in the gospel. We ask that you would continue to strengthen them in their faith and reliance upon you, and that you would continue to use them to further your kingdom here on earth. Grant to your church throughout this world grace and humility where there is pride, unity where there is division, truth where there is error, and wisdom where there is folly, that you might fulfill your purposes for her and through her. May we show your love and grace in all that we do, and may we be known for how well we love those around us. As the world has changed this week, we trust and we rest in the fact that you do not change. Father, we know that you are a good and perfect God and that you are not the author of sin and disease and suffering. So, Father, we pray as your weary children, longing for the day when perfect peace and health will replace systemic darkness and sickness, when the wolf and the lamb will, will live together, when guns and knives will become tools for agriculture and harvest, when sickness, suffering, pain, and death will be no more. Until that day, Father, free us from cynicism and worry. Make us warriors of peace and agents of hope. Replace our frets and fears with faith and trust. Our labors in the Lord are never in vain. Jesus defeated evil on the cross, and he will eradicate all evil and disease and death at his return. And so we pray that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. Until then, 
grant us wisdom to know what loving mercy and doing justice and walking humbly with you looks like in every place that we find ourselves. We pray for the scores of families directly impacted by this virus. Be present with our world and government officials. Help them to make wise and careful and God-honoring decisions. Affirm, encourage, and strengthen and support healthcare workers. Heal those who are sick. Grant us all of your compassion and grace to look for creative ways to connect and build community and relationships during this time. May your gospel impact and transform the hearts and lives and communities across the woodlands and across your world. You are a God that brings life from death. So help us to look for and to hope for the resurrection in every area of our lives. We ask that we would take hold of your vision for your kingdom and that we would labor to love our neighbors and to seek the good of those around us. We ask that you'd hear us now as we pray the prayer that your son has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, at this time, Chris Yates is going to share the good news of the gospel with us as we continue our series in Genesis, looking at the gospel according to Joseph. Thank you, Kyle. Good morning, Grace Presbyterian Church. Unprecedented times in which we live indeed. In the last 24 hours, coming out of Bay Area Church down at, uh, in Webster, we have two folks, two families, just lost jobs due directly to the uh, coronavirus. Um, received one of those messages just this morning as we were pulling into the parking lot and got a text from uh, one of my dear friends down there, a brother who's um, uh, works hard, he's just come to faith in the Lord and um, growing like a weed, and now this. So um, we are in unprecedented times, but times, in, as Kyle has reminded us, that may surprise us, but certainly do not surprise our Lord. It's fitting, it's, um, it's incredible that we're now in Genesis 39. We're going to look at Joseph and one of the overarching umbrella topics of what we find in Genesis 39 is really that God has a plan and it's a good plan and he's working his plan. Uh, theologically, sometimes we use the word providence, uh, that God is working all things for his good and, and glory and for our good as well. Uh, we will see that abundantly clear in the life of Joseph and then we'll try to extract some encouragements that uh, we might be able to take away. So we're going to read Genesis 39. We're going to read verses 1 through 23 here, the word of the Lord. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household 
and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptians because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She called him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, and had run out of the house. She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she said him and told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, encourage us, we pray this day. Uh, we are a people in need of hearing of thus saith the Lord, knowing that you are with us, that you are at work in and around us, and that though all things seem to be very confusing to us, uh, you are not confused. So would you speak to us through and by your word now, we pray, for we ask it and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year on November 19th, um, in the football stadium at Mississippi State, uh, the most uh, excellent of all quarterbacks that were playing in the NCAA Division I last year went down. Uh, he was hit by a Mississippi State linebacker and a Mississippi State lineman. And when they fell on this young man named Tua, um, they broke his hip. Uh, this man, this young man, is now was a, uh, in his junior year. He had come through the ranks at the University of Alabama he took over the first position as uh, head a quarterback. He has been hailed as the, uh, the next Joe Namath coming out of the University of Alabama. And now he was on the turf um, 
with a broken hip. This was the second uh, um, injury he had received in two years. And now his stock in the NFL's perspective was going down. Uh, an injury each year, uh, both requiring major surgery. This one was a seizing ending for him. Uh, and the questions that the, the commentators and all the journalists were asking him was, you know, what does this do for your future? You, you have been hailed as the number one draft pick coming up in, two, in 2020 in the NFL draft. Um, you, you, it was yours. Um, he's only 22 years old, and uh, he gave probably the best answer that he could ever give. And he simply said, God always has a plan. This 22-year-old young man just watched millions of dollars flow away from him when that second injury took place. He will be in the NFL draft this year. He will not be the number one pick, though he was for, for a long period of time. 22 years old, an outspoken, an outstanding commitment to Christ, just watched millions of dollars leave him. And yet he has the presence of mind and the conviction and the commitment to say, I can't make sense of all of this. I don't even know what a million dollars looks like, and I know I just lost a lot, but I know one thing for certain. God always has a plan. He is not confused. He is not asleep. <laughs> he does not hate us. God has a plan. Uh, we see it, this young man in the face of triumph, uh, temptation, tragedy, uh, a 22-year-old young man with his commitment to Christ Trusting God at all times and in all places helps us today. We see something similar and the need similar in our, in our passage this morning in Genesis 39. We see it even more clearly in our own lives, do we not? Our, our future is uncertain. Our present is, is uncertain as well. Uh, we are not exactly sure what God is up to in the midst of all that comes down upon us. Um, uncertainty is ubiquitous at this point in time. And yet Joseph uh, comes, uh, his life and the way that God works um, th through these uh, different scenarios and different life situations for him, that he comes and tells us we can trust God because God provides. We, we must trust God in times like these because he has promised to provide, that he is, he is not going to schnooker us. He's not going to come up short. He's actually going to come and uh, provide for us in these times when we can't even see things. Uh, if you look in your uh, bulletin this morning, there's a page uh, of some quotes. And I just wanted, thank you, Kyle, I wanted to point out one to you by Shakespeare in Hamlet. This is um, the page with the quotes on it. Yes, thank you. Shakespeare in Hamlet says this, Though this be madness, to which at this point in time we all must say yea and amen, though this, seem, this, this be madness, yet there is method in it. That even as some of you may have studied the chaos theory, and you begin to understand that the chaos theory says, well, everything's in chaos. And yet scientists and, uh, and those who study these things, says, even within the chaos, we begin to see patterns. And in the very same way, we're coming to see that oh, this seems like out-of-control madness. 
that doctrine of the providence of God that we see uh, rolled out here and used in the life of Joseph actually comes and says, God has a plan. He is at work in that plan, and we are part of it. He has not left us. He has not fallen asleep. Uh, I was out on the golf course this past week with um, three young men. Uh, one of them was a Christian. The other two were not. And um, uh, the young, young man who was a believer and a Christian uh, came through a, an incredible story about how Jesus drew him to himself uh, through incarceration, through drug, drug addiction. Um, and he is a, a wonderful follower of Christ. He said, hey, Chris, knowing that I am a pastor and so did the other two young men, he said, so does God have a plan B here? And I did, should have thought about it maybe a minute, but I, I just kind of came out, and please be careful with this. I simply said, if God has a plan B, he's not God. He's got a plan A. He knows what's best. He's with us, and he's working this thing, and he's going to carry us through. So let's see how it unfolds in the life of Joseph. Verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Understand that the narrator is beginning to help us understand there is a spiral rotation down in Joseph's life. He was a spoiled young man who, who was um, capable. Uh, his father spoiled him. Uh, his brothers hated him. And now we get the sense of going down. We can begin to even feel how this thing is going to begin to evolve as we continue to go down. His brothers attempted to kill him. Spoiled yet noble little lad. Sold into slavery. And yet, four times in our passage, and it comes in verse 2 and 3, that the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, and we get this sense that even in this spiraling down, that the Lord was with him. So what's significant about that, and what's significant about it, it's, it's mentioned four times in our passage, is this. Where the presence of the Lord is, the provision of the Lord is there as well. In the Old Testament, every time you've heard about the presence of the Lord, Implicit in part of that was fall and rolled out of that is the presence of the Lord always brings the provision of the Lord. And, and I think we need to understand that. We need to cling to that. Uh, we need to think about Jesus when he was leaving and his disciples were bewildered. And he resurrects and he comes back to them and says, Look, I am leaving. I want you to go make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them, spread and broadcast the good news of the gospel. And remember, I am always with you. It's kind of forecasting the idea that the Spirit of God was going to come, that the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, and that there was going to be not only this comforter, but this provider and this one who would bring provision and go with them and provide for them. In the very same way, uh, Joseph knew uh, that the Lord was with him in ways that he didn't deserve. And maybe it's important that we just remind ourselves that Joseph didn't achieve God's presence. He received God's presence as a gift, just like the gospel. Joseph didn't do something to get God's presence. God gave him his presence and said, live out of this confidence. Live out of this strength. You are not alone. You are not alone. I am here to empower you and to encourage you and to walk you through this difficult time. So what happens? Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he prospered, and he lived in a house under the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his care everything that he owned. 
this is a great time just to stop and say, um, Joseph was not a pastor. Joseph was not a missionary. <laughs> Joseph was a slave who was purchased, and by his work ethic, and by doing the right thing at the right time, uh, and having the supernatural blessing of the Lord with him, prospered, um, Joseph was recognized for his hard work, for what he did, for striving to do the right thing as his master continued to give him things over and over and over again. It goes down to verse 3, it goes through verse 4, 5, and 6 to this first part. The blessing of the Lord was everything Potiphar had, both his house and his field. From time to time he put in charge his household and all that he owned. I mean, this is a, uh, a massive dump uh, by Potiphar to put on Joseph because uh, not only was God blessing him, but it was also that he, he was working hard as a, um, as a manager. And I think sometimes it's, it's hard, is it not, in our daily lives, in our work, when we go back to work, um, to trust God and do the right thing. How can I, how can I, how can I bring a, a positive uh, testimony to the, uh, to the workplace? How can I have integrity when my, when my boss has none? And the answer is, I think, as we see in Joseph, that God is with him. Trust God and do the right thing. It's not always easy. Of course not. Uh, I remember listening to Charles Coulson, uh, the founder of <coughs> the prison ministry, and he, um, he talked about the time that he was speaking to Jack Eckert. Jack Eckert was a very uh, famous and well-off businessman. He started Eckert uh, Pharmacies and uh, drugstores, and Eckert was not a Christian, and by the time Colson had spent time with him, Jack Eckert came to the place where he embraced Jesus Christ, a multi, multi-millionaire. And um, Jack Eckert did something that surprised his upper brass, everybody that was his management, all the way down to the individual chains, and that was this. Second only to the pharmaceutical sales, he made more money, or he made less money than the pharmaceutical sales and the drugs, but right behind it was the distribution of pornography. That in his magazine racks, in all the Eckerd drug stores around America, um, he made good money off the pornography. When he became a Christian, he went to his head manager and said, I want those removed immediately. He begged him not to do it. The manager said, look at the spreadsheet. Look, look, look at the revenue stream. And uh, Mr. Eckert said, uh, this, is not, this is not pleasing to the Lord and this is not good for us. We're going to trust God and do the right thing. It's not always easy. I make no pretensions. Uh, in the midst of a time when our own jobs and much is in flux, um, God comes and says, Trust me, do the right thing, um, look what I do. You can trust me and my plan in times of triumph. That's what he did for Joseph. Trust God in times of triumph. Now, it's going to get worse because we're going to now go down to the second section in verses 6 through 13. And now Joseph is going to have to trust God in time of temptation. And this is where things get very hot. If you look at verse 6, at the end of verse 6, we'll read the next three verses. <clears throat> now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But Joseph refused. Let's stop there just for a moment. Well-built, handsome, successful. Uh, he, he has been given great gifts by the Lord. 
and this temptation comes on like an assault. Out of nowhere, come to bed with me. And then in verse 10, we get this, the idea of how persistent she was and how persistent temptation can be. And day after day, she said to him, come to bed with me. So we see the assault, we see the persistence of it, we see the fact that it just continues to come and knocks at our door. It is broader and wider than physical and sexual um, temptation. It includes it, certainly. But maybe we just need to be good managers and say, we're going to set the expectation. I am not weird, and you are not weird, that you are assaulted and struggle with temptation every day of your life. You're human. You're normal. Did you see that quote, uh, the other one, that we, uh, did we put it in there? We did not. Yes, I did. It's Erasmus. It's, a, it's the last quote. Um, this comes from his, uh, his little treatise called 22 Principles on How to Live a Strong, to Be Strong While Remaining Virtuous in a Dangerous World. This is number 8 out of 22. If you have frequent temptations, do not worry. Begin to worry when you do not have temptation because that is a sure sign that you can no longer distinguish good from evil. Do you see it? The fact that you are tempted is, is a sign of God's grace in your life. <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit, that God is still at work giving you the ability to discern between good and evil and to be sensitive to it. It's a gift. Think of Jesus in, in, in Matthew 4 when he went to the wilderness. Um, these are things that are um, normal to our everyday uh, warp and woof of being a Christian, walking with the Lord in a world that continues to lure us this way. What about the resistance? Uh, I have a good friend, colleague back in North Carolina, um, a dear good friend who, um, who let his guard down. And on one, one night, he, um, who had, he had been seeing another woman who was married. He himself was married. Um, Chance meetings turned into scheduled meetings, um, and they they broke covenant with their Lord and with each other, uh, with their wives, uh, with his wife, and, and with her husband. Um, things came out. Um, he was a pastor, still a dear friend, um, and I just asked him one day when we were alone together talking about it all. I said, "Did did you ever think it could happen to you?" He said, no, I didn't. Did you ever think it would happen? I said, no. I didn't think it would. I didn't think it could. I said, did you see it coming? He said, no, I didn't, Chris. I said, I understand. Thank you. Um, setting expectation in all kinds of temptation we have to at least embrace the idea and begin to remind ourselves, I am never beyond God's tempting. I'm never beyond Satan's tempting or my flesh uh, or the pressures of the world around me. But we always have to stay on guard. How does Paul say it? Make no provision for the flesh, right? Uh, uh, I, I've got to be on guard. I've got to stay on point as best as I can as God gives me strength and grace to do it. Notice how... how I mean, Joseph helps us. He calls it what it is. How could I do this wicked thing? And how could I do this wicked thing against my God? It reminds me of Psalm 51. Remember when David had, had committed um, 
adultery with Bathsheba. And then he writes this beautiful poem. In Psalm 51, he, he says something very strange. Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. What? What David was doing, he was saying, at the center of my world and universe is first and foremost my relationship to God. Any sin is first a sin against our Lord. And David said, I want, to, I want to get back to that healing part. I want to get back to that forgiveness. I want to get back to that redemption within my own brokenness. And he takes us back and says, let's start with the Lord. Let's start here. Make no provision for the flesh. Yes, um, but it's against the Lord. This wicked thing against my Lord. It, it's, Derek Kidner said it in his commentary. He said it this way. <laughs> um, what Joseph considered the reason to refrain and restrain are some other men's reason, very reason, for going forward with it. It's the upside-down nature. God says, put me at the center. Um, I will provide my plan for you even through this time. And, and the hardest part of it all, I think, is this. Jonathan Edwards, uh, back in the, the 18th century, uh, wrote a lot of theological treatises, sermons, but he also a lot of write on psychology and he, he asked the question, why do we sin? And the answer is a very discouraging one. Why do we sin? We sin because we love it. But that's also helpful. Because I can begin to see, as Augustine said, that my inordinate loves, my, 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 my loves turning back on myself, actually begin to move me that way in areas and begin to not only go through thoughts, but now actions and behavior. I've got to work with the disordered loves within my own heart. David draws us back, and so does Joseph. Name it for what it is. It's wicked. Name it for who it's against, first and foremost, against my Lord. Uh, it looks this, somewhat like this in everyday life. So um, there's a, a contemporary magazine now called Psychology Today. It's kind of a layman's understanding of some basic psychological principles, relational principles and things, and I've read it over the years. At one point, they were... Um, they had a therapist that was uh, allowed to use an interview with a young lady. Uh, she was part of the best and the brightest. She was a rising star. She was a producer. Um, she had come out of college and uh, gotten a very high-paying job, very efficient and effective. But she went to her therapist because she was exhausted uh, from her drinking, her drugging, her one-night standing, and uh, this is not for your entertainment, so do not laugh. I don't, we're not holding her up as anything other than someone who we share the same struggle she did. When her therapist said to her, why don't you stop? She looked at him and said, do you mean I don't have to do what I want to do? And the answer through the gospel is no. You do, as a matter of fact, just by understanding that you want to do it, it's a great step forward. You don't have to do what you want to do that God promises, even as He did for Joseph, that His plan is a good plan, that He will provide for us. We are to trust Him and work as we continue to try and move away from temptation day after day. It continues to bang at the door. It's always going to be that way. And yet God says, I will give you strength even in the midst of great temptation. Uh, an old saint called Hugh of St. Victor said it this way, it is good sometimes for the children of God to be tempted so that the very temptations they practice, in which they practice um, may make them very weary and wary. And then he says this, 
For struggles with the vices are exercises in the virtues. Fighting against the vices actually is a honing and strengthening of the virtues. And and I just want to say this to every one of you. In God's providence, no matter where you are and where you've been, you need to know this, that the Gospel of Jesus Christ said, God uses everything in your life for His glory and for your good. He uses everything. He wastes nothing. So when He said in Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. That includes your sin. It is redeemed, it is forgiven, and God will even, He uses everything, He wastes nothing. We must and we can trust Him. That's the battle. But He calls us to trust Him nonetheless. God's got a good plan. He's got a good plan in times of triumph. He's got a good plan in times of temptation. And then finally, we see in this last part of the Scripture here, He's got a plan in times of tragedy. Have you ever listened to people who've been um, unjustly thrown in prison for years? DNA comes out and says, you know, they're... I mean, I have no idea how to do that. Joseph, thrown in unjustly when when his master comes home, burns with anger. The commentators are divided. They think he might be burning in anger against his wife. Uh, Nonetheless, Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is hard because because we um, we are suffering and being afflicted for something we were not responsible for. Um, I have a good friend back in North Carolina who says it this way that God brings suffering and affliction into my life because he knows that it challenges my omnipotence. Yes. God's suffering and his affliction comes in and assaults and affronts my thinking that I am omnicompetent and omnipowerful. The way we say it is we think we're in control, right? Why does God bring these kind of injustices into our lives? So that we would depend upon him, not ourselves. So that there's, there's, there's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in what's going on. He's assaulting my sense of omni, that I am all-powerful, that I'm in control. You're not in control. You don't want to be in control. It's a great reminder. We need to hear it. So what do we see? We see this injustice. We see, once again, God's promised presence. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and the Lord was going to provide for him. It's the same promise that we get. Oh, so everything's going to turn out just great, just like it did for Joseph? In the next chapter, he's going to be, he, he's going to continue to spiral down. That's part of the realities of living in our world. God is still with him. It doesn't matter though he's spiraling down. God has a plan. It's a good plan. He's working his plan. And he calls us to trust him. And he calls us to encourage each other to trust him as we battle together. Time, God is with us in times of tragedy, in times of uh, temptation, as well in times of triumph. I'm going to close with giving you a quote from Martin Luther. It was during the, back, the Black Plague, the Black Death, um, and it actually was at Wittenberg. Uh, it came to Wittenberg in, uh, in August of uh, 1517, the same year that uh, Luther put the 95 Theses to the door. Uh, black Death, it came through uh, being bit by fleas and small rodents. And it was, of course, wiping out um, large, large amounts of people. So Luther wrote this when he was asked about how are you going to live in this time? Because Luther was, he, he was very committed to loving his neighbor and loving each other. So he said this, 
I will ask God merciful, mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and I shall take it as well. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus purchase and inflict and pollute others and so possibly cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so that I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others if I'm being responsible. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. In the end, facing the black death, Luther said, I trust God. He has a plan. He's working that plan. It's a good plan, and he will see us through. Struggle with me to trust him, even in these uncertain times, because he promises that his plan will bring him glory and be for our good. Would you pray with me? Father, you know our struggles. And you know in the ways in which the loss of jobs and the, uh, our loved ones and ourselves exposed to something we cannot control. We thank you that it's under your control. And we pray that you would continue to increase our faith. You increase our trust in you. You would help us to encourage each other in, in that uh, walk and struggle and battle. And that at the end that we would be able to look back and say, look what, he, look what the Lord was doing. And look what he has done. We thank you for it, and we will give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Now stand where you are and receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord who longs to be gracious to you, who waits on high to have compassion on you, plant you firmly in the faith, established, steadfast, and unmovable through the hope of the gospel, proclaim to all the creation under heaven. Now let us go forth to serve this community and the world as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.